right. Well, I'm going to invite my husband up here. And we're going to do a little yeah, tag team thing here. I like this mic better. Thank it's you. It's fine. It's okay. This is fine. So um, how many of you guys have enjoyed his new series on Go? It's been really good. Um, but I want to recap. I heard one person say one amen. Person say Thank amen. you for that amen. Take it. Breakthrough. Hallelujah. So, you know, if, if, um, if there is a sermon that's done interview style, they say that you retain like 70% more of what's spoken. So that's good. So you'll retain more of this message than you have of the past. It's just how our brains work. Um, but I want to recap your message on Reformation contamination. Is this the new Starbucks? Is this like healthy Starbucks? It's just coconut water. Been drinking it for a few years. It's good stuff. Um, um, so we're gonna. How many enjoyed Reformation contamination? Yeah, praise God. How many of you were a little like, oh my gosh, I was a little a couple times, a couple times. I was like, I can't believe you just said that. Um, so I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna ask you some questions. You're sitting really close to me, honey. I know. I love you. Praise God. I'm gonna ask you some Not questions. Too much PDA. I'm going to ask you some... CDA, Church Display of Affection. That's lots of hugs. Yes. Make room for Jesus. Right. The angels, the Father. The Holy Trinity and the host of heavenly angels. That's what I tell our young people. Make room for Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the heavenly hosts of angels. Do you know how much space that is? Um, So I'm going to ask you some questions. About your messages on Reformation contamination. So what I did is I went back and I listened to some sermons, and I I picked out the questions that I thought would be most applicable to everybody. Is that okay? If you guys have questions, we're not doing that this service. So, sorry. For the sake of time, because we have another service, we're going to do next service. You could stay if you want. Um, Okay, you taught on... Reformation contamination for like four weeks. And you started at Augustine. You went all the way through the actual Reformation, Martin Luther, Anselm, and all of it in between. You went through church history and talked about different things that have crept in the Western church through the contamination of these philosophers and different people. What, in your opinion, is the biggest contamination that has caused the most damage to the Western church? Well, I would say in the series, we didn't, I don't know if you remember, but we didn't like cover too much of um, the, the, like the, the middle part of church history and the Reformation. We did a little bit, but we focused on the, uh, the ancient period. I would say, this is just my opinion, but I think when, when Greek philosophy um, affected church thinking, it affected our view of God. And I think in uh, St. Augustine's time, right around there, there was a big shift in the church uh, because they were trying to adapt. Uh, Christianity was trying to adapt so that the, the Roman world at that time, the Greco-Roman world, would believe the God of the Bible. And so a lot of the philosophers that had been around centuries prior to that, the way that they taught about the Creator was very stoic. Um, it's where we get all of our... Uh, characteristics of God in classic theism, like omnipresent, omniscient, um, omnipotent, 
uh, impassable, immovable. Those are all Greek concepts of God. Although there's some biblical truth to some of them, um, it, it moved away from the God revealed in Jesus. So in my opinion, the most damage has been caused by that concept of God. This is where we started saying things coined by St. Augustine, God is in control. And now we know that God's in charge. He's sovereign. He's, he's the ruler of heaven and earth. Amen? But that doesn't mean he exhaustively manipulates and controls everything in life. Um, but around the 4th century, the church started seeing God that way because of Greek philosophy. So in my opinion, I think that did the most damage because we started seeing a different view of God. And so there's a false sense of comforting, well, God is in control. Something bad happens. Well, it doesn't mean that he initiated it, you know. And we say things like, well, all things work together for good. Well, yeah, that's true, but it doesn't mean that God caused the bad. It means he can turn it around, you know. And so there's, but, but all of that comes from hundreds of years ago. It started creeping in the church. And for about a thousand years from the fourth century and on, the church lived like victims, because God's in control. And the church was very domineering, very religious, indoctrinating. People didn't think for themselves. And they thought if you were born a slave, it was just God's will. And you're supposed to live that out the rest of your life. And you live your life for the next life, which there should be that focus. But in that time, for about a thousand years or so, that's all the focus was. It was only for the next life. And everything in this life was just going to pass away. And it was just didn't really matter. Instead of a kingdom understanding, See, when we lose sight of who God really is, we don't know who we are. And then we don't rise up and take authority in the earth the way God created us to. So in my opinion, the, where it started was uh, right around the 4th century. The Greek philo- uh, philosophical concepts of God came into the church. And instead of seeing God perfectly revealed in Jesus, we began to see a different stoic, emotionless being that was all create, all controlling and uh, you know, uh, different understanding, which has affected predominantly all Western Christianity, but mainly like church in America, most even non-Christians have that concept of God, and it came from that time period, and we don't even realize it. We have that view of God, and there are scientists and physicists that are like, no, that's not possible. Like, they don't see if God is omnipotent and sees the future and, you know, trying to justify all this, so you have big thinkers that are challenging it, which I like. Because I think there's a lot of atheists because of that understanding of God. Because God is in control. Like, you know, God gave my mom cancer. And God, you know, that, that's not God. That's not who he is. Amen? So, in my opinion, that's where it started. And that affected the Reformation. Um, because guys like John Calvin, his mentor or hero, not mentor, his hero was St. Augustine. St. Augustine was mentored by a Neoplatist. His name was Platonus. And Platonus, his view of God was not the God of the scriptures. It was not in Jesus. It was not the Father. It was not the Hebrew God. It was, or the God of the Hebrews. It was a, a Greek philosophical concept of God. Totally different than how we believe today. Um, so, but, but there is remnants of that. So that's my, that's what I think has contaminated our, our, um, uh, our understanding of God the most. I know for me, growing up with those um, attributes of God that caused me to see even the cross differently. And I even read my Bible differently. And I lived my life almost in fear of offending Holy Spirit or in fear of, of not being able to please God. 
Um, and so I agree that that's probably one of the biggest things. Um, I know for me, it took me a long time to unlearn that in my process. Um, personally, even, even, I even didn't want to read the Bible for a little while because everything I saw was through those lenses. Um, so can you give us a way to encourage us? How do we look at things differently now that our understanding has been open, but we've been, it's almost like, um, if you wear glasses for a really long time and you take them off, um, your eyes have to just like, I used to play with my mom's reading glasses, but I didn't need them. And so I would, my eyes would adjust to looking through the reading glasses. And then I would take the reading glasses off. Even though I didn't need the reading glasses, my vision was blurred when I removed the glasses and I had, my eyes had to adjust to see correctly again. Um, and it's almost like that we didn't need that lens, but we've been looking through that lens for so long. Now that we've taken the lens off, our eyes need to adjust again to truth. So can you encourage us? How do we, maybe there's, um, some early church fathers we could read or just wait a, a way to, to relook at scripture again, to get us have that desire back when we can really see God the right way. Well, um, I would say it's a really good question. I would say get discipled, get saved. There, that's what. No, um, that was a joke, by the way. I think everyone here saved. I hope. Uh, I felt like I was getting saved all over again this morning, though, during worship. Um, but I, I, I would say just fix your eyes on Jesus. Okay, Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is the Father revealed, and that's where we have to stay. And even when we read Scripture. The text is inspired by God, and it's a sign that points clearly to the eternal word, who is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. Let the scriptures reveal the living Christ and feast on that. And that will change the way that we see God. There's still even these remnants of contamination, like you were talking about when you grow up. Like, you know, we still have this idea of blessing and cursing, and we have this old covenant concept thinking that God's going to curse us, like if I don't tithe, or he's going to curse me if I don't do this, or, you know, something happens like, oh man, it's karma. You know, we have all this. Now, it's true that there are spiritual laws and natural laws, but God is not in the cursing business. He operated faithfully in the old covenant that he didn't initiate the way that it turned out as a kinship covenant. He actually wanted a different one. He wanted to relate to everybody. And they said, Moses, you go talk to God. It changed everything. But, you know, we, so we still have this understanding. And it is hard to unlearn it. But the more we see Jesus, the more we understand who the Father is. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When I look at Jesus, he, Jesus, God looks just like Jesus and he always has. Amen. And so I would say just and allow the living Christ through the, the Holy Spirit revelation Spending time, letting God love you, seeing God as a loving Papa. Jesus came to reveal this. Jesus taught about it. The Sermon on the Mount to me is like Jesus is saying, look, God, God's a Papa. He's your daddy. He loves you and he's going to take care of you. Don't worry about tomorrow. You have so much value. Look at the sparrows. They're all good. How much more value do you have? And he just goes on and he teaches them about the heart. So if you keep your heart oriented on Jesus and your eyes fixed on him, who is the author and finish of your faith? I think that is what aligns us. Just set your eyes on Jesus. Like he is truth. He is perfect theology. Um, and, and all the other stuff starts getting dimmer as we fix our eyes on him. And, and that's how we have to see God. We can't live by, listen, we will experience things that contradict 
uh, what we know God's will is for our lives. Amen? And sometimes because of that old concept of God, we think, well, it just must be God's will because God is in control. Like he's, no, it doesn't, everything that happens is not God's will. Hello? If so, then it's God's will that people are going to hell. If so, if that's the case, then God's responsible for the murders and the rapes that have happened in the last 24 hours. But that's not the case. Because Jesus said, nope, here's how you pray. Father, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we keep our eyes on Jesus, we unlearn all that other stuff. Keep it simple. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Read the Gospels. Look at how he lived his life. Um, now, here, let me say this too, because that was a really good question, so I'll try to give you a good answer. Uh, sometimes we'll read like Matthew 23, where, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And you have, He was speaking to a people that had pushed away their old covenant partner, God, and there was a judgment that was about to come 40 years from that. He said, this generation will not pass until these things happen, he says in Matthew 24. And so Matthew 24 is about the ending of the Old Covenant system that happened in 70 AD. So we can't just read, when I say read the words of Jesus, a lot of people say, oh, you know, yeah, praise God. And we only read these judgment scriptures that don't even apply to us. Hello? Woe to you. Now, I could, I could learn from it, but it doesn't mean that it's applicable to me. Now, I can learn from it in the sense where, yeah, sometimes I feel like I'm clean on the outside and but I got stuff going on on the inside. Remember when Jesus said that, right? You're like a clean cup on the outside. But we can't just read like Matthew 23. We have to feast on, on the words of Christ, the way that he loved the broken, the way that he healed the sick. Come on, the way that he set the oppressed free. This is who God is in the earth, the way he laid his life down freely. And he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Um, and so I would just say, set your eyes on Jesus and, and let the other stuff just... Let God just take that, uh, those clean waters in, the living water of who Jesus is and, and allow the other stuff to just get flushed out of your system. But it does take, it takes a long time. And it changes everything. It changes everything. The revelation that God is our partner in this life and accessible and available to us changes everything. It really does. Okay, I'm going to move on. I'm going to go to this question here for the sake of time for first service. Okay, I'll go to this one. Um, you said a teacher's job is to get, um, is not to get you to believe what they believe, but to get you free to think for yourself. Such a good quote. So what do you do with people that don't agree with you? Because I just don't want to talk to them. What, what is the question now? What does that have to do with the comment? What do I do with people that don't agree with me? I, it doesn't. I love them. Um, you don't agree with me all the time. Can we talk about that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just joking. Totally kidding. Um, let's air our dirty laundry. Uh, so here's what I think this is all about. This series was about bringing truth to us so that we are free to think for ourselves. Because a lot of times we don't realize that our minds and the way we think is bound by a religious pollution, a religious system, a governing system that is not kingdom. Uh, and it comes sometimes through institutional church. And it comes through even, you know, streams of evangelical isms. So you have 
like these streams of thought where it's like, if you don't believe this way, you're like, that, that's it. Then you're, you're a heretic. That's not how the early church thought. I mean, there's early church fathers. They didn't agree on everything, but they could cite the creed, you know, that was written in 325 and they could take communion with one another. And some early church fathers were uh, ultimate reconciliation. So they, they believed that ultimately everyone would be saved through Jesus. These are some early church fathers that were... Now today, you say some, that to like, you know, uh, what's his name? You know, John MacArthur. I mean, that's heretical. Anyone know who John MacArthur is? He's like a Calvinist staunch, like hardcore though. Like, it, you know, anyone that doesn't believe like him is a heretic. That's the wrong way to think. Also, if you're charismatic, you're a heretic Right. Too. He did, oh, yeah. So about a billion people on the earth that uh, claim Jesus as Lord, because they've experienced the charismatic gifts, they're, they're experiencing demonic stuff. Just not healthy. So here's my point, is a good teacher brings truth and revelation to you that unlocks, unlocks your mind to think for itself. It makes you responsible. You're never to sit and be indoctrinated in a church. You're, you're not created to do that. You're created to, to hear truth, receive it, and it causes you to live in freedom, and then you can think for yourself. Because over 2,000 years of church history, we have a lot of lenses on, and we have a lot of different ways that we think that have been determined by some things in the past, not necessarily uh, the purity of what we see in Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? So... As a teacher, you don't have to believe what I believe. Um, if I, what I believe helps you, praise the Lord. But I want people to think for themselves. It's, here's, here's an example. Somebody says something like, well, if you don't believe in the pre-trib rapture uh, that was founded by John Darby in 1830, by the way, very new doctrine in the church, if you're as a futurist, then you're a heretic. That's silly because we're calling... 1,800 years of church fathers, heretics. But there are people in evangelicalism that say silly things like that. They're not thinking for themselves. Their mind's bound. Now, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees in Matthew 23, and he says, you shut up the kingdom of heaven with your teaching. Some teaching literally binds you instead of brings you into liberty. Indoctrination is not good. Receiving truth is what God wants. Now, doctrine's good. Teaching's good. When I say indoctrination, I'm talking about, like, you have to believe. It's like, it's literally, it's religious brainwashing. It really is. I don't like it. It's, I think it's why some of the millennial generation runs from the church. Because the fundamentalist ridiculousness in Christianity that stands on the street corners yelling at people. I saw this video. It, it was so absurd. This lady's like, so you think we're all going to be raptured? And, and this lady's just asking a question on the street. Yep, and you're going to be left here to experience the wrath of God, this lady on the... I'm like, that's just horrible. What if we, you don't have to believe that to be a Christian. We, we believe in the imminent return of Jesus. I know it's going to be great when it goes down, but I don't have to believe a specific way that only a minority of the church believes in order to be a Christian. Hello? I can think for myself, and God wants you to think for yourself. Amen? And some people are afraid and fear is not from God. And they're so afraid of being wrong. Listen, that's Gnosticism at its core. It's worshiping knowledge. Stop eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eat from the tree of life. His name is Jesus. Focus on him 
and think for yourself, God wants your mind to be free. You should never just believe everything you hear. (laughs) Study to show your... Search the Scriptures diligently and learn of the living Christ. Not just the non-essential eschatologies and all that stuff. I'm just talking about everything. I mean, just, just feast on the bread that comes from heaven, on the life that He has given us. Um, I, I'm preaching now. I'm sorry, honey. But I, I just think it's so important. This is one of my pet peeves. I, like people, I used to, and I'm still unlearning this, but I used to not think for myself. I would say things and I'm like, that's not, even in the, that's not even in the Scripture. That's not even seen in the life of Jesus. But why do I say it? It's because I've inherited mental uh, baggage and ways of thinking from maybe church things in the past, but not necessarily from God or from Jesus. Amen? So we got to think for ourselves. And freedom comes through knowing truth, not indoctrination. There's a religious bondage that I see very often in the way people think. And it's very cultish. And I don't like it. It bothers me because people, uh, they stay bound. And they stay and they stay in fear. And they live in this place of fear. And it's like they just, they literally, their, their life is fed by fear. And they don't even realize it. They're breathing in the, 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 uh, the just the pollution of fear. And they're living in that. And it's just very unhealthy. Christians aren't supposed to live that way. It's good. And truth is not knowledge. It's a person, and his name is Jesus. Um, well, since you talked about eschatology, I'm going to ask that question. Um, because you've talked about it quite a bit, and um, can you clarify your eschatology? Are you pre-trib, mid-trib, <laughs> or post-trib? And if you're a nun, what are you? If I'm a nun or None a of those. Oh, And do you, because you have gotten accused in the past that Pastor Zach at Encounter doesn't believe in the rapture. Um, So do you believe in the rapture? I believe in a type of rapture. Um, I'll just leave it at that. But I don't don't necessarily fall in line with the, the way John Darby has taught it. So most people think there's only three views of eschatology. There's pre trib, post trib, mid trib, or pan trib. It's all going to pan out. That's those are subcategories of one view. Listen, those are subcategories of one view. This is how religion binds us. The way that, oh, that's all there is to believe. So let me choose one, two, any, meeny, miny, mo. Oh, I'm preacher. Praise God. Those are subcategories of a view that is actually a minority view in the universal church. In other words, it's believed by less people than the other views through and through, especially throughout the last 2,000 years of church history, only up until the 1800s was the pre, post, mid, those subcategories of a view called futurism. So futurism is one view. And didn't it come from a dream of a little girl? Yes. She had this dream and it was there was a lot of fear involved. And then John Darby took it and turned it into a doctrine out of a doctrine called dispensationalism. Right around 1830. It's very new. The church historically did not believe that way. They believed in the imminent return of Jesus, the physical glorious return of Jesus. Amen. So a lot of people are just, oh, I'm pre, post, or mid. Well, there's a lot of other things to choose from. That's the minority. See, we're force-fed things instead of uh, taught like what's really out there. And especially if we're experiencing, you know, an evangelical-type church in America, American Christianity, um, So futurism is the view 
that falls under those sub subcategories. So I would I would say don't put me in that box. There's historicism, which is that the book of Revelation, Matthew 24, has been most of it's been fulfilled around 70 AD, but then there, it's being fulfilled historically over time. Um, Harold Eberly is kind of a historicist in some ways. Then there's idealism, which is a spiritual allegory view of the book of Revelation. So guys like, uh, um, what's his name? Brian Zahn kind of is, is, is an idealist in that sense. Then there's preterism, which is like where we get partial preterism, where we, most of the early church fathers and it throughout church history fall in, fell in that category where they believe that most of the things that Jesus prophesied, if not all of them in Matthew 24, were fulfilled by 70 AD. So those are all the four views of eschatology. And you're asking me what I believe? I'm not telling you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I believe primarily um, I, I'm in more in agreement with what the historical church has believed, which is that Matthew 24 and most of the book of Revelation was fulfilled. The things that I know have not been fulfilled yet is the final resurrection, the final judgment, and the eminent physical return of Jesus. And all of those are great, and I look forward to those. Um, but I want to live my life as a kingdom ambassador. And I, have a, I do have a problem with just the, the little boxy view of futurism, not only because a lot of the rapture theory is so new, but because it's hard to be that way and live a kingdom lifestyle. Because in the back of your mind, things are going to get worse, worse, and worse, and worse. But in the front of your mind, I'm a kingdom ambassador. Wait, is this kingdom going to come when Jesus comes, or has it been here for 2,000 years? And is it increasing in the earth? So there's, a, there's some hurdles to jump over. It's kind of like praying for healing when you don't always think it's God's will for people to be healed. Big hurdle. Hello? But when you know it's always God's will, and actually He already provided it, and it's up to you to just release that authority in the earth, it changes this scenario. You understand what I'm saying? changes the paradigm. So uh, that's what I don't like about that, you know, that boxy understanding. But I have, I lean toward, here's what I know. I know it's all going to go down glorious. I believe the church will be beautiful and glorious according to Ephesians chapter 5. When Jesus returns, we will not be hiding in caves. We will be the largest entity on the planet because that's what we are now. The church is advancing. The church is growing. Come on, somebody. One statistic says that the born-again rate is four times the birth rate. If that is true and it continues, in about 25 years, most of the planet will say Jesus is Lord. Come on, somebody. So I see, optim I see optimistically about our future, and I think it's important for us to look that way. And if we study all the views, we can think for ourselves instead of one little subcategory and think, oh, that's all there is. No, that's not all there is. And actually, that's not what the historical church and the church majority believes. It's just, oh, it bothers me. When people are like, like, oh, you don't believe in the rapture? Well, you're, you know, you're going to hell. It's like, you're an idiot. I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. Can I just be real? We're in church. Was that, did I just do a Rochelle? Yeah. No filter? After 9 p.m., that's yeah. my wife. Yeah. I just removed my filter. Like, it's just, it really bothers me because... That's not healthy. That's not the way we're supposed to think as believers. Like, that's, it's okay if you believe that. There's people that believe that in here. And I'm not really sure. I haven't really settled the issues. Here's one of the things. Don't presume what someone else believes. Yeah. Hello? Don't presume what someone else believes. Because for me, it's still a conversation. I don't, I'm not really sure. I mean, people have been talking about it for hundreds, thousands, hundreds of years about some of this stuff. All the different views. So, I don't know. I... In some ways, I'm still kind of a historicist. In some ways, I'm an idealist. 
because I like the way Brian's on and guys like that. It's an allegory. It's a picture in the book of Revelation. I like that, you know. In some ways, I think some things could apply to our future. But in most ways, I think that he was writing to a first century church and John the Beloved was encouraging the church before 70 A.D., And it was all pointing to the revelation of Jesus, the ending of an old covenant system, the beginning of a new age, and the beginning of the new covenant age, which we live in now where we're ambassadors of the kingdom. And that's how I think it's healthy for us to see it that way. So we live responsibly in the earth. And we're not like, well, I don't need a savings for my grandkids because the rapture is coming. You know how people said that in the early 1900s? And now their grandkids are broke? Hello? A righteous man leaves an inheritance. It's whether you think it or not. There, I'm telling you, a, a healthy eschatology, a victorious eschatology will change the way you live your life. Right. You'll be responsible with what you have. And you'll think, wow, I can influence society. Man, I can change nations. I can make disciples of nations. I can release the kingdom of heaven on the earth. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm sorry I called someone an idiot. I love that you said that it's still a conversation for you because... Um, I know him personally and I know what he does at home and he's probably read almost every single book there is on this subject, a lot of them and very well studied. But for him to say that he still has a conversation, it just speaks of the, the volume of sometimes we just read a scripture, we come to our own conclusion and we don't think it through. We don't study it to show our, to ourselves. And we've got to maintain humility in our heart so that these things become conversations inside of us. Is that good? That's good. I also want to say there is a book, a secular book that is about this thick that, um, is the, what is it called? The the improving state of the world. Because if you listen to 90% of evangelical American Christian pastors, they will tell you that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Obama is the antichrist and tomorrow the world is going to end. And that is not the truth. (laughs) It's just getting better and better. And the, um, you know, it is, it's getting better and better and better and better. And so there is a, it's a huge book on statistics about the better stating, uh, the better, um, improving stating the world. Okay. All right. I'm going to ask you just two more. Um, the next one I'm going to go to is this one, which I love this quote. You said, I really, really, really love this quote. It's, you said, when you don't have people in your life that can question your, quote, God told me, you will eventually become your own God. Can we unpack that for us? I think it's important that we're not too settled when we, like, when we say, well, the Lord told me. And I, I'm real careful with my language. I try. Now, sometimes, like, God very clearly, it's just he puts something, he speaks to my heart. How many know the Lord speaks to believers? I don't want to discourage that, but I, what I do want to encourage is that we allow people to uh, challenge what God tells us, especially community. Because, matter of fact, as a even as a senior leader, like I, I, I got to run with vision, and I'm the type of guy. I'm going to preach on this sometime soon. I'm the type of guy I got to see a big perspective. I don't like when we're navigating. I don't like the navigation app on the iPhone because it only shows you. Like a few blocks. I'm, I need to see like what's about 20 minutes down the road. I need to see if there's traffic because I want to go a different way. Like I, I think far further ahead. 
Um, some people like it right there, like, okay, turn now, turn left, boom. Okay, keep going, turn now. And, so, and it's, it's actually healthy. Some people have, it's good step by step, like we complement each other. Um, but I, I love bouncing things off of people. Hey, I feel like this is what the Lord showed me. What do you think about this? All the time I'll bounce it off people. Community leaders, you know, my wife, Chris, I'll be like, hey, what do you guys think of this? Some of the intercessors. And I, I like doing that. So this quote is about when we over-spiritualize things and it's like, oh, the Lord told me. Like the Lord told me what, to, what kind of shoes to wear today. Cool. I mean, maybe he wants you to just choose your own shoes though, you know. And there's kind of like this super spiritual mysticism that you see in Christianity that's not healthy. And I, I sometimes I have conversations with people and everything's spiritual. And what will happen is when it goes awry, they don't have themselves to blame. They'll just say, well, then it was just God's will. Think about it. When you're getting married, God told me, well, why, why don't you choose? Like, do you love this person? Are you in love with them? Are you attracted to them? Hello? We sat with a couple one time and they told us 12 different visions they have that God told them they're supposed to get married. I said, that's wonderful. That should be a part of this. But tell me three things that you're just madly in love with each other and you're compatible and you, your heart is just completely set. And you're like, as a man, you're choosing your bride. Because if a man isn't choosing his bride in the beginning, he's not going to choose her down the road. Well, God told me. And so there's this super spiritual thing. And I, I see it's the quickest way into deception. It is the quickest way into deception if nobody in your life can say, I'm, I don't think that was God that told you that. Maybe some of it was, but I think it's polluted and mixed with a little what, the way you think and other stuff. And You understand what I'm saying? We should be able to question that. We want to hear from God. We believe in hearing from God. But uh, again, it, it can become this thing where, uh, where nobody can speak into our lives. And I don't ever want to become like that. The Bible says in James 3.17, memorize this, the wisdom that's from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. The wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, and willing to yield. Not, well, no, the Lord told me I'm sticking to this. Some people will never fulfill their vision because they don't realize all the people that are actually connected to that vision but because they want it exact certain way and they don't realize that the, the, the beauty of community and the array of God's design, are you hearing me? Comes with people involving and participating and dreaming with you in that vision and that revelation. Yeah. And instead of, God told me, no, it's got to be like this. Well, that's, but someone else might have a better perspective. Maybe they can add and remove some of what you think God told you. Are you hearing me? So not only in that, but even in the daily things, I've, I've heard people, I've, I've challenged it and it's a very, un, I've, I remember someone was saying, nobody that's in this church, but they're like, oh, and the Holy Spirit told me, da, da, da. And I said, I don't think the Holy Spirit told you that. But you, you think about it. If someone says God told me, you can't question them, yeah. right? Well, the Lord told me like, oh, okay, have fun, right? Yeah. It's not healthy. I, I changed the phrase to, I feel like this is what the Lord's telling me yeah. in my heart. We should be a prophetic people. But it doesn't mean we say, thus saith the Lord all the time. And always brag on our God told me. We over-spiritualize it because it makes it's a spiritual pat on the back. Yep. I hear from God. And you don't. I hear from God better than you do. He told me. And I'm running with the vision. And it's just, it's we got to be careful. Yep. We have to always, always allow someone to question what we feel like God's telling us. Yep. Amen? Yep. Yep. Long answer.
cancer. That's amazing. It's no, it's very good for us to hear as a, you know, prophetic people. Let me just say that because when we're when we're not pastored right, when we're not taught well, we can go awry quickly and everything is spiritual and everything is a word from God and it's really just a desire in our heart or an expression of our heart. And so we have these standards like, okay, God told me. And so everything is elevated when really it was the cheeseburger you ate last night. And that's what you're feeling this morning. You know, like that's not God told me that's like heartburn. Evil spirits can inspire dreams too. Yeah, It's a warning from God. It might be, but it might not be. I mean, you know, that's another example of where we, we, there has to be, sometimes there's a mixture even when we hear from God and about being a prophetic people, we are as a people hearing the rhythm of God's heart. And sometimes we all have a different perspective of that because we have different anointings and giftings. And every person has a different sound. Every person has a different voice. Some have a teaching. Some have a song. But they all make a symphony that give glory to God and it expresses the fullness of who Jesus is in the earth as the body of Christ. We're individual members of one body. So same with the prophetic. We all have, we prophesy dimly. Say, I look through the glass, I see something and you might see a little different perspective and I need that perspective. Amen? And that's the point. Okay. Last question and then we'll close. Um, You mentioned something about essentials. So I was taught five undisputable doctrines of the Christian faith. And I don't think I agree with most of them. Anyways, um, I do. I'm kidding. Um, but you said something, you said, if you stumble over non-essentials, then you've made them sacred cows. So when someone else messes with your sacred cows, you fall with it. And so, um, my question would be, okay, I get that. If I'm holding on to anything so tightly that when somebody questions it, or if somebody, um, maybe, maybe gives me a different perspective and I'm holding so tightly to this thing that it's causing offense and it's probably a sacred cow. So with that said, what would you say are the things like this is a non-negotiable? Like I understand, like I can go through this scripture from beginning to end and say, okay, I'm going to study this. I'm going to let my heart be open to different views and different challenges. And does that make sense? But what is the thing like you can, like, this is what it means to be a Christian. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Amen. God was in Christ reconciled the world to himself. I think we just, again, fix our eyes on Jesus. We are Christ followers. God came incarnate and showed us what he looked like so that we could love better, so we could live better. And he came to bring salvation to every human being so that we could live in that new creation lifestyle and bring his reign of love in the earth. So Jesus is Lord. That is the gospel. The, the, the very core meaning of the gospel is Jesus is Lord. And within that is the work and the person of Jesus. But I think it's very important that we just, Jesus is Lord. If we agree on that, praise God. Let's worship. He's Lord of all. He reigns on high. He reconciled. He died. He was buried. He rose again. The Nicene Creed. Let's read it together. Look it up. 325 AD. It was written 
to, to bring unity, a creed, a central creed, because they were dealing with Gnosticism and people that didn't believe Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. And so we have to think through those things, but we have to just focus on Jesus. And when we start getting agitated at non-essentials, like, you know, even the way we understand grace, I remember people would say things years ago, before I had a good grace paradigm, they'd say things and it was just like, you know, I'm not legalistic, but I really was. Hello? Like they would say things that were very profound and like, God's not mad at you. Well, sometimes he might be. And I always want to undo it. I'm like, no, he's not. He doesn't get angry like we do. He has emotions, but it's not like we... When you read wrath in the Old Covenant, the law brought wrath. He operated faithfully under the Old Covenant system. God is revealed perfectly in Jesus. God is love. God looks just like Jesus. That's my revelation of who God is. So... All the other stuff is non-essentials. Your eschatology, all that. And if it ticks us off, then we may be clinging to a non-essential and we've idolized it and it's become a sacred cow. But sacred cows are meant to be kicked down, not polished and loved. Amen. And we're a church that's going to poke at sacred cows because we want to empower people in the earth to think for themselves, to be strong in the Lord, and to be an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven and represent and represent the heart of the Father well. And not just digest garbage that's going that's that's out there. Hello, yeah. I want Jesus. I want the real Jesus. Amen. Yeah. Will the real Jesus please stand up? Yeah. I don't want the other stuff. I, I've tried religion. It sucks. Yeah. It's not fun. Yeah. It doesn't help people. Yeah. And if people aren't being free, let's look at the fruit. If the fruit sucks, then the root sucks. <laughs> so lay the axe to the root and rethink some things. Set your eyes on Jesus and let's. Let's make this happen in Las Vegas. Yeah. And, and when people got something silly to say about their non-essentials, you've made it a sacred cow. I don't know what to tell you. Lay down your sacred cow. Jesus is Lord. That's why we can worship together for 50 hours with about 40-something different churches and different denominations in the center of Las Vegas called The Sound because Jesus is Lord and He's worthy of our worship. Yeah. That's how churches can come together in the city. Walls come down. We're not arguing over the non-essentials. Who cares? It doesn't matter. In the end, Jesus is Lord. And let's usher His kingdom reign in the earth. Amen. Don't get me preaching now. Well, thank you guys for um, helping listen and participate in this discussion. Did you enjoy this recap? If you still have questions, we're going to save that for second service. And um, I think we might try to do a text thing. But if not, if you could write it down and hand it to me, and I will try to get those questions worked in for second service if you're going to stay. But um, other than that, can we just stand up for a second and just lift our hands? Father, I just declare the washing of the water of Jesus over every life and every heart in this room. I thank you for the freedom that comes when truth wins. I thank you for the freedom that comes when we understand who you really are, God. And so I just declare right now, every person, every life, every heart, you are free to be a son and a daughter. You are free to think for yourself. You are free from contamination. You are free from bad theology. You are free because you are a daughter and a son of the Most High. 
So I just declare that liberty over every life and every heart in your goodness right now in this place. I thank you we're moving forward. We're moving onward. We're moving forward. We're passing through a season and we're going and we the horizon is on. Um, we can see the horizon, God. So every heart in this place, every life, God, we thank you for liberty, truth, and freedom. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Can I have our um, prayer team just come up here?